Cyberspace, the final frontier. These are the debates of the Who's the Best podcast. Today's mission to seek out opinions on who is the best Star Trek captain and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. I'm Sandro Minetti, your captain on this podcast, which debates the biggest stars in pop culture. The candidates we'll be deciding today for who's the best Star Trek captain are Captain Kirk, Captain Picard, Captain Sisko, Captain Janeway, Captain Archer, and Captain Kirk Mark II, played by Chris Pine. We'll also discuss the Star Trek Discovery captains, and uh, anybody else will be announcing the choice at the end of the show. To help us debate and decide the best Trek captain, we'll be joined shortly by Star Trek actor Dominic Keating, who played Lieutenant Malcolm Reed in 98 episodes of the series Star Trek Enterprise. Um, But first on the bridge of the starship Sandro are joining us once again, the Spock to my Kirk actor Harry Van Gorkum. It's totally illogical, Captain. Um, And Star Trek expert Ashley Victoria Robinson. Hello. We're like a Commonwealth ship here today. We certainly are. That's what Star Trek is all about, isn't it? The Commonwealth. Bringing bringing the Commonwealth together. Absolutely. Um, Ashley, what did Star Trek mean to you growing up? So very much. I started watching Star Trek when TND, the channel for men, um, used to run them all when I would get home from school. I would come home and I would watch TOS, TNG, DS9, Voyager, and then that was when Enterprise was actually airing uh, for the first time. And that's when your crush on Dominic Keating began. I mean, I didn't want to say anything until the end when I asked for a selfie, but now you've outed me and I'm deeply, deeply embarrassed and probably going to turn bright red. Yes. and She is. She is. <laughs> and... Actually, when I got married, um, I didn't want a wedding ring because I don't like wearing rings. So I have a necklace. That's the Vulcan word for beloved. So it's a huge part of my life. (laughs) And and that spells out what? What is the Vulcan word for beloved? I I don't know. Oh, (laughs) not that much of a fan then. No. (laughs) I was told that that's what it said and I believed him. (laughs) And uh, take us back to the childhood Harry Van Gorkum. What did Star Trek mean to you? Sitting on the sofa. Waiting for Star Trek to come on the original, the original Star Trek with Captain Kirk William Shatner. A mixture of terror, anticipation, and glee. Because of Shatner's performance or because of the monsters? <laughs> because of Shatner's performance. <laughs> Every time he'd never know where he was going to go. I, I actually loved it. I was scared of it a lot. I was, I used to, it used to give me nightmares. I was a young boy at the time. But I did, I did get so obsessed with it that I built my own cardboard version of the bridge. Wow. So it took me about three weeks and I used to sort of 
go down, fly through it low and sort of pretend I was on the bridge and had little things coming at me through the windows. I, I, I had it for years. I loved it. Are there photographs of this? Can you put this on Instagram? N- no, there weren't cameras in those days. <laughs> of course, this is ancient history, actually. <laughs> right, it was steam-powered, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course but, it, but if your starship was made of cardboard, it would have been equal to the special effects on the original show. Very you know, similar. It's all very, about the, it's yeah, all the magic. Yeah. Very similar. You know. Just touch it and it falls over. Me, me too. And, uh, you know, I, I also grew up obsessed by Star Trek. And, uh, you know, I've, I've met all the Star Trek captains. Wow. Uh, the last one that I got to meet was the most elusive one of all. Um, growing up, to my mind, the greatest actor of all time was not Laurence Olivier or Robert De Niro. It was, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, William Shatner. And I, um, in my capacity as a showbiz journalist, I'd gotten to interview pretty much every star in Hollywood, but the one I wanted most was was missing. And uh, as he turned into his 80s, I was beginning to worry I would run out of time. Uh, but then it happened. But before I tell you, do, do you, either of you think it's a good idea to meet your heroes? Um, I meet him every day in the mirror. Mm. It's, um, wow. <laughs> what is it like to be a white man? <laughs> I'm not white. <laughs> it's, a real, uh, it's a real mixed bag, I think, especially in the entertainment space. But So I think it depends. Well, you can probably relate to my excitement when leafing through the paper one Sunday morning, I see an ad for My Trek Through Acting, an hour <laughs> with William Shatner. No. $39.99 at the Doubletree Hotel in Westwood. Well, let me tell you, um, <laughs> I, I was the first in line. I booked my ticket to hear that legend speak live for 60 minutes was just going to be extraordinary. Um, the first indication I got that this was maybe not going to be the greatest night of my life uh, came when I saw the rest of the audience because I was dressed in the suit and everyone else was dressed as Klingons. Um, <laughs> I, I tell a lie, there was two Ferengi and a Borg, but you get the picture. But everyone has his own sort of fan base. So I was just ruminating on this when suddenly the doors opened, not with the you know, enterprise swish, um, but uh, you know, with a with a, with a cough and a loud entrance, in he comes. It was it was like Elvis and Jesus had just come in at the same time. It was so exciting to me. And um, so Shatner started his hour by talking about some of the movies that he'd made, but he didn't talk about you know the biggest hits like Star Trek Two, Airplane Two, Miss Congeniality Two. Um, he, he talked about the rare movies he'd made like Big Bad Mama and 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 the first ever movie in Esperanto. And he said, what links these films is you can't buy them in the shops, but you can buy them at WilliamShatner.com. <laughs> I said, oh, that's, that's very interesting. And uh, then he went on to talk about his music. And uh, as I'm sure all our listeners know, uh, Mr. Shatner's a great singer, has released several, uh, several albums. And um, most of them are not available in the shops. Surprise, surprise. But he informed us that these albums are available to buy on WilliamShatner.com. <laughs> And then I was thinking, well, surely he's going to tell personal stories now and, and do the Q&A. But no, uh, he then took out a holdall and emptied onto the table uh, 20 Star Trek novels, um, all of which he'd, he'd written. And he said, these are available in the shops for $20, but tonight you can get them for $30. Now, I'm not an economics expert, but that seemed, that seemed a bit of a markup in price to me. And he was explaining that he would autograph them, you know. So, uh, and then for an extra $10, you could get a picture uh, with, with the chat signing, signing your book. And the talk was over after five 
minutes. And no. the other 55 was going to be, let me sell you some stuff. No. Uh, and a bit of my childhood died. And so with that childhood innocence, I, I thought, well, I'm not really wanting to autographs, but I, I am into photos. So uh, he says, form an orderly line. And anyway, the Klingons are up out their seats and the Ferengi and the book, and they're all they're all there, you know, ready to get their book signs and photos. So I uh, instead went to the end of the line and tried to take a photo of Mr. Shatner. Well, oh dear. he... he covered his face no you know because i wasn't paying for it and then i went to get a, a, another angle and, and and then just one single finger emerged across <laughs> across the, the, the face and when you've been flipped the bird by your childhood hero it is it is very very depressing but i did meet him in another context years years later not a, a, a fan event and uh he, he couldn't be nicer didn't, so, he didn't remember you then from the... He, he uh, didn't remember him. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank goodness. So uh, I don't You didn't know, feel the need to remind him? Put it back to a bad, <laughs> bad experience. Now, uh, uh, Ashley, meeting your Star Trek heroes or heroines, any good or bad experiences or all positive? All positive so far. I mm -hmm. find that the Star Trek cast very much understands that the fandom is crazy and they're very kind and very receptive to that. Um Dominic's co-star Connor Trenier is someone who I keep running into like every two years in my professional life. He's always been super, super lovely. Um, I have yet to meet the captain who I will talk about here uh, as my the person I'm defending. But usually in the context of an event like Star Trek Las Vegas, everyone's been really wonderful. Andrew Robinson, I just stopped on the floor and he was completely lovely and then taken aback. I think that people wanted to talk to him about Garrick when he wasn't tabling, but I've never had a bad Star Trek experience. Now, Harry, as a uh, working actor, and um, by the way, if you uh, listen to uh, some of our other episodes, especially who's the best James Bond, who's the best Doctor Who, you'll know that uh, Harry has been associated with a lot of um, major entertainment franchises. Um, never appeared in a Star Trek so far, as much as I understand, but you have uh, worked with a couple of uh, Star Trek actors, right? I have. I have. One of the, one of the movies I did, which has a, one of my favourite titles, which is the closest to a pornographic title you can get, Deep Core 2000. <laughs> uh, Must have missed that one, Harry. Yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a classic. Deep Core 2000, which is about a drilling machine that goes to the centre of the Earth to save some terrible thing happening to the Earth. And there was only five of us in the drilling machine. It was Craig Sheffer, Bruce McGill, and the other two were Will Wheaton and Terry Farrell. Oh, Will Wheaton from Next Gen and Next uh, Terry Gen Farrell and from Terry DS9. From yeah. DS9, Dax. And uh, so we were trapped in this, in this, this little podcast. Little, little, <laughs> wow. What's going on now? We're trapped in a podcast. How do we get out? We're trapped in this little, uh, little drilling machine. And uh, me and Terry Farrell got to know each other quite well. Will Wheaton was a very, very sweet kid. Very, very nice. Still very young and very sort of uh, energetic about everything. But uh, Terry Farrell and I sort of um, got quite close. And... One thing led to the other, and I, I went back to her apartment a few times. And what amazed me was her apartment had so much memorabilia on the walls. Not only Deep Space Nine Star Trek stuff, but hang also... Hang on, hang on, hang on. So you've gone back to the home of one of the most beautiful actresses in Hollywood, and you're admiring the memorabilia on the walls? Yes. Oh, right. You are such a geek, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> a man after my own heart. I was just looking yes. at the walls. All I looked at was the walls. Yes. And uh, and some of the stuff which really fascinated me was a lot of NASA stuff on the walls mm -hmm. uh, because NASA were very, I don't know how they were connected to the Star Trek franchise in some way. And I believe that Terry Farrell was, had, a, had a star named after her by NASA or something, or maybe even a space, what, a bit of space equipment was named after her. Well, we'll ask Dominic in a, in a moment, yeah, you know, yeah. um, what married, it's like to be She married astronauts. Leonard Nimoy's son recently. Oh, Adam Nimoy, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Last, yep. last year or the year before? Yeah. Yeah. Last year, so the whole thing has come full circle. Didn't marry me, married him. 
the Star Trek family. Because I was too busy looking at the walls. And uh, well, indeed. <laughs> well, you, you didn't know. offer to make a documentary about the show she was on. So oh, is, that, is that how they met? <laughs> I think so, but you I see, can't, I can't confirm that. But I know he did produce the DS9 documentary, What We Left ah. Behind. Now, actually, talking year? about the Star Trek family, you you were a bit of an army brat. So, so how did you, you told me that DS9 sort of reminded you of your own family background? How so? Yeah, DS9 is my favorite Star Trek, and it's because Captain Cisco reminds me so much of my dad. And this is the point where people go He's to an authoritarian Twitter. figure. Uh, he's a lovely, tall, bald gentleman where people go to oh. my Twitter and they go, but you're white, as if you couldn't use your imagination and find things that would connect people otherwise. And what I love so much about Deep Space Nine is that for me, it's the one that feels the most like a family. And it's because they were not adventuring every week in the traditional sense that we think of from an enterprise driven show. I love Cisco and I love the energy that he brings in. I love that he is a good dad it's so rare to see a single father on television and then a good single father um he looks like my father and does bring that tough love that a military dad brings to your life um and my father passed away when i was a teenager when i was still very much watching star trek live to me for the first time so i think that's another reason why he really really resonates with me and because in addition to captain archer he's the only captain who i believe and he doesn't even start out as a captain he starts out as a commander but whatever uh, he's the only one that I believe actually knows all the members of his crew and has dinner with them and has that kind of relationship with them. I don't believe that uh, some of the other captains do. And I think that that's the mark of a true leader is connecting with everybody who's working under you. Well, thanks for sharing that. And uh, <laughs> no prizes for guessing uh, who she's going to vote yeah, for really. when, we, when we make our decisions for <laughs> who's the, the best there, captain. It? Yeah. It's, it's a real 50-50. So it's such a pleasure and privilege now to be joined by our star guest, star of the series Star Trek Enterprise. It is the one, the only, Dominic Keating. Welcome to the bridge. Hello, hello, hello. Nanu, nanu. Nanu, nanu. Love the Mork and Mindy reference there. <laughs> so, um, Cross-fertilization. I'm going to start with the same question uh, I, I started with the, with the co-host here. What did Star Trek mean to you growing up, if anything? Uh, yes, watched it as a kid uh, in uh, in Leicester growing up. I nagged my dad rotten to get one of the first colour TVs in our street. <gasps> what? To see that show in colour. It was yeah. one of those multi-broadcast ones. It looked yeah. like an aircraft hangar, <laughs> you know, with the louvered door when you pull that across. What on earth could that be? In the corner. It's <laughs> not a television. Not a television. Surely not. Oh, my word. What is this magical cabinet? You literally could land a helicopter in those things, couldn't you? Uh, amazed that Spock's shirt was blue. I remember just that just blew me away. And much like Harry, it scared the bejesus out of me, that show. Particularly the fried egg episode when they were on that planet and the eggs were all over the ceilings. Oh, my God. That oh sent, sent me into spirals. Do you think it played any part in your decision to want to become an actor? Um, hmm, that probably came a little later, uh, that, the, the, that decision. I, I, I wouldn't, yeah, I can't, I can't attest to that, but I definitely know that, uh, Kirk's chiffon clad ladies were definitely <laughs> my first foray into erotica. Really? <laughs> wow. Really? <laughs> and it has stayed with me ever since. Yeah. <laughs> I, had a, I had a problem. I've met some of them now. Barbara <laughs> Luna and I go back. <laughs> <laughs> that must be an Did interesting she, uh, conversation. She's still looking pretty. Does she let you dry on the chiffon outfits, uh, though? <laughs> I haven't been round to her apartment and yet. stared at the walls yet. 
Well, now, talking about uh, putting on chiffon, um, you actually won your equity card as an actor by performing in a drag act. Now, there's many (laughs) ways into show business. How exactly did this come about and did you have the legs for it? Uh, Yes, I did. Um, So back in the day, we had to become equity members. It was a closed shop before Thatcher broke the, uh, the back of the unions. And, you know, I... Uh, That's Margaret Thatcher, the politics, Star Trek villain. Politics, politics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Number one villain. Um, didn't go to drama school, um, which was definitely a, a sort of a almost a must to get in equity in the theatrical division. But the back door was through um, uh, the variety. And I was doing dance classes at Pineapple Dance Studios in London. And uh, Martha's Jazz Ballet, Beginners, 11 o'clock every morning. And there was a young guy called John John, uh, this very camp homosexual black man, who I became friends with at that class. And he asked me if I would do this uh, drag act with him. And at that time, I was like, oh, John John, sorry, darling. No, I'm (laughs) going to be a serious actor. I couldn't possibly. (laughs) uh... Um, I was trying to get a double act comedy thing going with Johnny Vaughan. Do you remember Johnny? I did a a show with Johnny Vaughan. Anyway, that went on and on. We never got anything going. And John John's guy dropped out and he asked me again if I do. And I took a deep breath and went, okay. Um... I changed the name of the act. We were called Feelings Mutual. <laughs> we made our professional debut at the Cabaret Club in Bournemouth. Um, I Bournemouth? Ended up, Bournemouth, of wow. all places. I ended up nightly in a pair of black lycra shorts <laughs> with the bum cut out in red piping. And was that big, more comfortable than the Star Trek Enterprise uniform? Literally? I tell you... Second only to the EV suit. <laughs> I used to wince whenever I turned the page of that script and it calmly said... They step out in their EVs. I was like, in hell. Anyway, yes, um, uh, I finally told my mother. I plucked up the courage to tell dear mum what I was doing um, to get my equity card. And God bless that woman. She sent me a good luck card to the cabaret club in Bournemouth. And it simply said, um, break a leg, my darling boy. Here's hoping your bottom gets you to the top. Isn't it the best? I still have I still have the shorts and the card in my apartment in London. And how, how long did you have to do it for to get your equity? Six card? months we did. And you wow. did it for yeah. ten though. John John was gutted when I finally went to him I said John John I've got the card and I'm I'm stopping he was we were making good money but your comedy ambitions did come true because your first taste of fame came in one of Britain's most beloved sitcoms Desmond's tell us about how that came into your life and uh, what it was like to suddenly be uh, recognised as a a sitcom actor Desmond's uh, a a sitcom set in a black barbershop a local family barbershop in South London in Peckham Uh, And the eldest son, who was a bank manager, so they made him sort of upwardly mobile, um, he decides to invest in his father's flailing business. And part of the requirements of him coming in is that he gets this young, hot stylist in to do the modern cuts that the old father can't do. And there's that sort of, you know, there's the the, the chagrin between the father and the young guy coming in. And uh, yeah, trendy Tony. Um, Never look back. God bless. That was uh, really uh, one of the best times of my life uh, on that show. Well, it's been a long way getting from there to here. And uh, despite your success in Britain, you, you took the leap to move to America. Um, I did. What prompted that decision? Uh, it was uh, half calculated risk, half... Uh, I came out on a vacation. Um, 
I went to visit with a friend of mine I'd met years ago on a cruise going down the uh, the Nile with my aunt. And his family owned, do you know Franzia wine? Mm-hmm. The, the, the box the wine box people wine. in there. Yeah. <laughs> High quality wine. They sold Ernst Gallo his first plot of land. And so I went to visit with Mike up in, uh, in Napa. And then his younger brother was getting married. We went to Vegas for the bachelor party. And then I hitched a ride to LA. It was, I was never meant to come. I looked up a friend I had here. On my second night in Los Angeles, I was in the Rainbow and I met a lady called Kelly Coleman, who is Dabney Coleman's daughter. And she was a musician with a band called uh, Black Swan. And uh, we kind of hit it off. And I went home and I just thought, you know, I was, what, I was about 31. I had this apartment in London. Uh, I thought, if I don't go now, I'll probably never go. So let's have a shot. So I came back and I was hanging out with Dabney at uh, Dan Tanner's. His best mate, uh, Harry Dean Stanton, you know, it was, he's, got the, he's got his own booth. There. He's got a steak on the menu, the Coleman steak. Living the Hollywood oh, life. I really was. And you know, Harry's leaning over and goes, you know, you, you've got a really good look, kid. You should come back. I'm like, yeah, I do have a good look, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> you, do. you do. And that good look was and noticed. so I came back. Mm. Of course, it, it would, you know, Kelly, God bless it. It all blew up in 20 minutes. And uh, her final answer phone message to me was, hasta la vista. <laughs> nice. So you'd done some episodic work, uh, you'd done shows like Buffy, but uh, how did uh, Star Trek Enterprise come into your life? Uh, I went for a guest star audition for Voyager, which went phenomenally well. I seem to remember it was to play some sort of nomadic prince of a you know uh, a star tribe wandering around. I don't, I, I, but I just remember meeting everyone and thinking that went really well. I think I called my manager and said we're definitely doing Star Trek next week. And then I never heard from them again. I was like, what mm. the hell have you got to do to get a job in this town? And sure as well, uh, SH1T, about 18 months later, um, they rang me. Uh, well, my manager rang and said, uh, Ron Sermon, the casting director, had rung him and said, well, I think I've got something for Dominic Keating. And, uh, you know, I'd already said, I'm never going back in there. <laughs> I'm like, okay. What is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I went along and, uh, yeah, God bless. Rick Berman came up to me at the end of the first season. We were shooting this episode. He was the exec Shuttle. producer, right? He was the big, you know, big honcho. He'd had my photo on his desk for 18 months. Uh, they knew they were doing this new Enterprise show and they, knew, they wanted this uh, armory officer to be British. And he remembered me from that audition, bless. Wow. Yeah. Um, and it's a pretty open-ended question, but uh, in what ways has the show changed your life? Oh, I never stop thanking the fans. I, I have a beautiful house in the, the Hollywood Hills that is officially called the house that Trek built. Nice. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, just to do those years at Paramount were so special. It's uh, an amazing studio. And um, they were halcyon days. They really were salad days. Um, every Monday we'd walk in. There were three stages we shot on. We had the standing stage 18, which was, I mean, that's where Hitchcock shot Rear Window. And that's uh, where Sunset Boulevard was shot. And I used to walk through the Godfather Alley every day from the car park, uh, which is where Duval comes over in uh, the Godfather to visit, you know, to get Johnny Fontaine in the picture. They shot that there. And um yeah, my trailer looked up at the balcony where Holden goes to see the girl in Sunset Boulevard. It was, they were really special days. And, uh, you know, and then Scott Bakula, you know, if I'm going to get into the captain thing, I mean, what a guy to have at the helm. He really, 
he made those days He was joyous. a captain offset as well as on, was he? He, he really was. Yeah. I mean, you know, oftentimes Hollywood sets, as Harry, I'm sure, will attest, they are they can be they can be strange places. <laughs> There's a lot of ego on Especially board. Especially when Harry's on them. And, uh, <laughs> and they're, they're not always friendly, you know, and he, Scott was the first man. If, if anyone was new on set, he was the first one over there. Hi, I'm Scott. Welcome aboard. What's your name? Couldn't have been nicer. I mean, a ninety-eight episode. You've got to keep it together as a team. I mean, yeah. That's... And he had two small children. I mean, they were under under the age of five, and he was a dad at home. He was not sleeping all night and letting his wife do all the heavy lifting. No way. He was. He'd come to work up having slept maybe three hours, maybe, and then he'd have a full day. You know, with all that jargon on the bridge, and we'd be all screwing around in the background. <laughs> He was a, I have to say, I can't say enough about that man. He's still a good mate. We'll really talk is. about our favourite captains later, but one of the great things that happens to you in, in Hollywood is is your friendship with Harry Van Gorkum. Harry, uh, tell us how this, this came about. We go back a long, long way. We went to the same school together. Really? We to, yeah, we went to the same... Um, Borstal. Private <laughs> For those who don't know, Borstal is a prison school. I think. We didn't go there. We went to, uh, actually, I, I can say it, we went to Uppingham School, where Stephen, Stephen Fry also went, he and uh, Boris Carlo went and wow what went wrong <laughs> and then we went there uh, and we were friends there and and we used to bump into each other at Notting Hill Gate usually at the carnival when we were both slightly right. bleary eyed and you know yeah. not knowing where we were and then I came to America and I don't know if I knew if Dom had come to America too but I used to live in Beechwood Canyon and one of my favorite hangouts was a very well-known French bar called La Poubelle, the dustbin. And uh, one day I was at the bar and I looked across and sitting in the dim light was this face. And I thought, that looks like Dominic Power, because that's his real name, ladies and gentlemen, Dominic Power. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I went Dominic and he went Harry. And that was it. He'd been here for about three years. I've been here for about four years. My house, if I opened my window, I could look out and I could shout down to his apartment, we found out. That's how close we were living to each other. Literally. Wow. So we, um, our lives became intertwined again, which was a, which was a wonderful thing and they have been ever since. Um, a good 25, 27 years, I think. And I, I never forget that day uh, when I bumped into him at Beechwood Canyon one day, walking down from the market, and he had a certain look on his face I hadn't seen before. Um, and I said, Dom, is everything all right? He said, yep, yep, everything's fine. Um, I'm mid-op. Um, <laughs> me and John John are getting back together again. Uh, and, uh, and I said, what's up? And he said, well, just, you know, um, something, something good may be happening soon. I, I, you know, there's something big. And I think, I think this, one could, this one could happen. And as, as actors, when, when someone tells you that, you know that, um, that you're on the verge of some big show um, and a dream of a working actor is to get a regular gig on a show which lasts for maybe five, six, seven years. And he I couldn't, blame Voyager. And he, and, and, and he, and he, and they come home in yes. a timely fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't quite the seven years they expected. But, uh, but, and then it was announced uh, a week later uh, in, the, in the variety that Dominic Keating was playing Malcolm in the new uh, Star Trek Enterprise. So that's what he was holding close to his chest. And I was so happy for him and so proud because when a fellow actor gets that kind of job, it gives us all hope. So, well, done, well Ashley, now that you're sitting here with one of your great Trek heroes, Dominic Keating, what's the one question you've always been dying to ask him? She was just fluttering her eyebrows. I'm 27. She was, fluttering, she was literally fluttering her eyebrows at him. Uh, I mean, eyebrows, eyelashes. <laughs> I wish I could. If I could do that with my eyebrows, I could play a Vulcan. Um, 
Speaking of Vulcans, the aliens and all of the strange creatures are something that's very defined in Star Trek. It's something that we love about it as fans. Was there anyone who was really challenging to interact with or really fun to interact with because all the actors are buried under all that makeup? Mm, the Klingons were always tricky. Um, <laughs> I used to love coming out of the trailer and the, the, the extra Klingons, they'd be sitting on the bench outside stage nine having a fag. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. A fag is a cigarette. Yeah. A fag is a cigarette. Yeah. Klingons Thank you for clearing fags. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up, Ali. Um, but those, what, what were those blue ones called? Uh, the Andorians. The Andorians. Um, they feature quite a lot. Um, they were challenging to work with. Um, I did quite a lot of scenes with Jeff Combs, who was uh, the chief Andorian. Shran. Uh, Shran, that's right. Well done. God bless someone's here. Knows what <laughs> Goodness me. Goodness me. It's 20 years ago, people. Um... Their uh, their tendril ears, uh, they were mechanically, um, you know, uh, what's the word, moved. Mm -hmm. and, what, uh, by remote control. By remote control to the side. They had two, two young guys. I know. It was a job. What an incredible job to have. And, uh, <laughs> and they squeaked. So every time Stop. Shran had a reaction. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Squeaky uh, ears. You had to work around the squeak. <laughs> <laughs> and it was honestly getting through a scene with them and then knowing that you were going to have to go and ADR the whole damn thing. Um, I always remember at the end of it, what were those really fur hairy guys called? What's ADR? I'm sorry. I'm oh, a bit good lost. Question. Good question. When, when, when sound on the day is not being it great. It stands for additional dialogue recording. Isn't it? Oh. You know, I'm not sure I have Nothing we ever need on this podcast. Never. No. <laughs> we crush it. Um, the hairy guys, you mean like the ones with the pig face? The hairy yes. guys. What were they called? Oh, the they're, they're a classic the Star Trek They are. Race. I mean, they're not in it forever. But I, I remember when we, when we, when, the, when, we when our show ended and it was the end of the franchise under Rick Br uh, Berman and, and Bran and Bragger, we had this massive cast photo at the Paramount Gates, and there we were standing in quite hot sunshine. And one of they had a they, the makeup had been Tellerites. Tellerites, well done. <laughs> they had been in the trailer since three in the morning, getting all these people in costumes for this big photo. And I'm standing around with Connor and uh, Brannon in the sunshine, waiting for the the assembly to come together. And we casually turned around, and there was this Tellerite just sweating his. T-I-T-S oh. in the sun. <laughs> and oh. we just looked at him and Brown and Bragger looked at me and he went, it's time. <laughs> so you correctly mentioned there when Enterprise finished, it seemed like the end of the, of the franchise, but uh, how wrong we all were because then we had the J.J. Abrams uh, movies yeah. and uh, now we have the Star Trek uh, Discovery Which, series. Which, by the way, Enterprise is canon in. You actually get to see Archer's Enterprise in, I believe it's Into Darkness. So they all still exist in the Kelvinverse. Certainly do. And now <laughs> there's, there's lots of talk about what the, the future will be for, for, for Star Trek. The rumor is that Quentin Tarantino, yeah. um, with no. his final film, will be. That's what he wants to do. He, he wants to take over the Star Trek franchise. Any thoughts on that, everybody? Five hours long. I'm not a Tarantino fan. I'd be in it. I'd be in it. I'd be in it. Definitely be in it. Quentin, if you're listening, mate. Yeah. Loved once upon a time. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think it'd be great because if he brings back all the great Tarantino actors, we could have Michael Madsen as Captain Kirk. We could have Harvey Keitel as Spock. He'll be yeah. the one. He'll be the one to bring back Shatner, though, because he loves to bring back people from those original franchises. And Shatner tried really hard to get into the Kelvin verse, and they said. 
Amazingly enough, fine. Shatner has never won an Oscar, but this could be his this Oscar be role. You know, he's won some Emmys, though. He has won plenty of oh, Emmys yeah. for Boston yeah. Legal, yeah, yeah, and well-deserved. But uh, to me, his career will only be crowned when he takes that walk at the Dolby Theatre <laughs> and picks up the Best Actor Oscar for the Tarantino Star Trek. Be so it. I'm really hoping <laughs> it'll happen. We're predicting it right here. Now, before we uh, finally go to our debate about who is the best Star Trek captain and I give you the result, um, it is time to test our knowledge of Star Trek. Now, I'm a bit worried, Dom, about your chances in this, about, you know, the hairy things, the blue things, <laughs> might need a bit more specific answers. 98 but, episodes and still doesn't matter. Um, and uh, you and me will be fine, I'm sure, Stage Harry. 9 was known as Planet Hell. <laughs> uh, I think Stage 9 has a plaque outside of it yeah, uh, that it says... Our, Enterprise. <laughs> our Trexpert is going to uh, tell us um, four trivial facts uh, about Star Trek, three of which are false, mm-hmm. one of which is true. Ah. It's up to us to work out, ah. as a group, which is the true one. Take it away, Ashley. Okay, fact number one. J.J. Abrams directed reboot Star Trek 2009, won an Oscar. Fact number two. Riverside, California is where, per the original Star Trek timeline, James T. Kirk was born in 2228. Fact number three, Leonard Nimoy's cover of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds was voted worst massacre of a Beatles song ever by Rolling Stone magazine in 2003. And fact number four, according to Star Trek Blueprints, the USS Enterprise has next to the food and beverage preparation facility on Deck 21 a basketball court. Wow. Riverside, California seems kind of familiar to me. Is that where James Tiberius Kirk was was born? Is that one of the... That's what what she's saying. Um, Or going to be born in in what year? 2228. Oh, something to look forward to. Wow, something to look forward to. We could be there for we the bird. Travel forward in time. But it's good to know because I know we won't ruin the planet. Before yes. Yes. Did that Did fact about, about Kirk's birthplace come out in the first JJ film? No, that's mm. from the original series. Oh, was ah. it? Mm-hmm. Oh. But then she also said that that JJ's film had won a Oscar. Oscar. I think it did, didn't it? Uh, it could have won, it something. won for something. Sound special effects, sound, special editing. Effects. Oh, in all the technical all things, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I believe that. I think you, you it think did. that one's true. I think it did. Okay. I believe that. And I think he was born in River. Is there an address so we can be there in the future and see him being born? And there was the the basketball court, or the I don't have an address. Yeah. If there is one. The <laughs> basketball court rings a bell too. Oh, it rings a bell. did you did okay. you did you play a few hoops over there, Dom? No, no. no. <laughs> well, we did we did so, we did a basketball scene, but it. Uh, are we all agreed as as Trexperts yes. that James Tiberius Kirk was born in Riverside, California? Here, that's, here. that's the true yes, fact. Yes, I believe that. Unanimous or Dom? You going for something I else? That. I uh, is that there's only one that's true. There's only one that no. There's only one that's yeah. There's only one that's there's true. Only one that's there's true. only one that's true. I, I'm going to go with the Oscar. I'm going to go with the Oscar. Oh, okay. Just me on Riverside, California. Yep, yep, okay, yep. you're both going to go the Oscar. Oh, all right. Okay, you're going that the Oscar is true. I am going that he was born in Riverside, California. Ashley, put us out of our misery. Star Trek 2009 won an Oscar for Best yes. Makeup. It is the only oh. Star Trek movie to win an Oscar. James Tiberius Kirk was born in Riverside, Iowa. Oh, oh. oh. I knew oh. There is, it's a long trip. There oh. is a placard to him. I auditioned for that part. Was a placard in the mm-hmm. JJ film. Oh, you did? To play the young Kirk's dad. 
I didn't, they, 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 I, when they brought me in, they didn't know I'd played Malcolm Reed. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> surprise. Would have been a bit of a shock. I went back twice. <laughs> no. And that was the part Did Chris Hemsworth Did they not Hemsworth look at your right? CV? Apparently not. I think, <laughs> they, I think they must have finally gone, do, do you want to win? Wait a minute, Chris Hemsworth one of those dead? Yes, Chris Hemsworth you played. You lost out uh, yes. Chris Hemsworth. Because yes. I, I remember when he was it, cast no, it as Norm. It ended up being, uh, it was a voiceover anyway. They cut the part. They cut the scene. Oh, there right. was an yeah. abusive scene because he was a drunk. And oh, he, the stepfather. Oh, the stepfather, yes. Malcolm playing the stepfather would have confused a lot of lot of trackies. It would, yeah. Who's the best? So now um, I'm going to ask each of you to make the case for who is your favourite Star Trek captain. A reminder that the contenders are Captain Kirk, uh, Captain Picard, Commander, then Captain Sisko, uh, Captain Janeway, Captain Archer, Captain Kirk version 2, um, you know, maybe uh, Captain Lorca, Captain... Pike, I would love to hear someone others. make a Captain Lorca argument. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I love um, Lorca. Okay. He's well, great. He's let great me guy. start it off. <laughs> My choice of best Star Trek captain is Captain Lorca. Oh, yes! There we go. There we I go. I always get what I From want. From Star Trek Discovery, <laughs> and here's why. One of the things I've loved so much about Star Trek, and I think has sustained it so long, is one of the things least discussed, and that is the great acting. There have been some wonderful, wonderful performances over the years. I think even compared with the likes of Patrick Stewart, when they got Jason Isaacs in, they got pretty much one of the best actors in the world today. Yeah. And he brought some very different colours to the role of Star Trek captain. Because before, uh, it had always been uh, established uh, to be the same. But here was uh, a pure warrior. Uh, a soldier, a mysterious agenda. You couldn't have him pegged just like the others. And I think it really helped establish Star Trek Discovery as something different with its own place in the, in the Trek universe. And uh, for, for that reason, for being so different and so memorable uh, in only one season, and he achieved my lifetime ambition, switching on the Blackpool Illuminations, the lights in my hometown. <laughs> so, you know, he's been a Star Trek captain. He's switched on Blackpool Illuminations. He's been in Harry Potter. What else is there to he's achieve captain, He's uh, Captain Hook as well. So, And he's been Captain Hook as, as well. He's a great so, actor. He's a great, great actor. He really is. He really is. And so, um, as, you know, the, the greatest acting performance in Star Trek, I would say, and also the greatest captain. So for me, it's Captain Lorca. Who wants to go next? You know, um, now Captain Pike, Anton Mount, read for uh, Lorca a couple times and was mm -hmm. really bummed he didn't get the part. But I think it worked out for him in the end. I'll be really <laughs> surprised if you make the argument for Captain Pike and we have two for Discovery. But, oh, uh, man. Um, who's your choice? He's very handsome, but I will not. No, I'm going with Cisco because I'm transparent. And I think not only is Avery Brooks one of the best actors and one of the most undersung, I think, modern actors that we have. And a lot of that is because after Star Trek, he said, goodbye, I'm going back to the stage where I love myself. Um, he was a really big monumental casting choice for the series. We got a diverse person in the lead. We actually got to see him ascend and really earn being the captain. And that wasn't something that we had seen up to that point. Everyone had already been established as captain. He changed the type of show that you can lead under the Star Trek banner. Deep Space Nine is the first show um, with overarching continuity. Everyone likes to give Lost that credit, and that's Lost is very, very special. But Deep Space Nine did it before anyone wanted to. It did it with a show that was heavily syndicated, that was very, very powerful. He's a single African-American father, and he's good at what he does. He's a good dad. He's a good father to his crew. And he has to accept a balance of faith and 
sort of governance and order. And that's something that we're struggling with in the modern age. And I really admire the journey that he goes on because it's very representational of America. And Starfleet is essentially an American constitution. It's based in San Francisco. That's why there's so many humans. For me, he's the type of person that I would want to follow. And he reminds me of my dad. So you're just never, you're never oh. going to beat that in anything. <laughs> yeah, that is a hard argument to follow. That, mm-hmm. is, that, is, that is one of the most eloquent arguments I've heard so far on these podcasts Mm -hmm. apart from Sandra's of course course. Um, that's why he's the boss so so I'm going to go with uh, William Shatner Um, he was my first Star Trek captain he was my first introduction to Star Trek and what amazed me with what he did with it there was no template there was no there was no no model to to model himself on there was no character to base it on he created this incredible character um and made him real, and made him um, vulnerable, and made him sometimes scared. And no one did crazy like Shatner did crazy. <laughs> and when Shatner used to go crazy on those shows or lose control, you really believed he was losing it. And I, uh, as a kid watching him, and maybe that was one of the inspirations of me being an actor, watching him go show the gamut of emotions on that show. And just his delivery. I mean, it's still, to me, you know, that opening line of, you know, the, the Star Trek lines when he's talking about a captain's log it's it's the voice and it's like sean connery and james bond he set the he set the benchmark and everyone else had to follow that and chris pine when he did was it chris pine who did i mean chris pine did a not an impersonation of him in the movie but did a similar um like almost like an homage to him um in in the movies he he used the same cadence he used the same sort of the same facial expressions he had that same cheeky you know cheekiness he had that same glint in the eye that william shatner had and uh, to me it's got to be got to be bill and I thoroughly recommend uh, listeners to check out a movie called That's Free. Mr. Bill to you. That's Mr. Bill to you, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Check out Mr. Bill in the movie Free Enterprise, uh, where he plays himself. And it was the start of him really embracing um, the, the sort of irony and the icon nature of this of this character. It's something he's really embraced That's where in I recent met him. years. I, I met him on that set. Yeah. A friend uh, of mine, Rafa Weiger, was in that with uh, Eric McCormack. That's right. And I went on set for a few days and Dear met, Rafa, w- yeah. Yeah, and met w- William Shatner and thought I was going to be sort of you know he was going to be a bit sort of uh, full of himself but he was the most humble sweet uh, hard-working actor that i've met for many years of that age fantastic so um it uh, it it comes uh, uh, to our star guest now now no one has mentioned picard janeway or archer are you going to make the case for any of them who one <laughs> <laughs> i'm the least qualified to uh, to comment really um I mean, I really, I mean, I watched a couple of episodes of uh, uh, The Next Generation when I got to America simply because it had a British actor in the lead. Um, I was living on a commune in Malibu and the guy that was running this place was a massive Star Trek head, um, Victor. And um, I think the phrase is Trekker. Trekker, (laughs) yes, you're absolutely... I said that at FedCon, the first FedCon I went, <laughs> Ich bin ein Trecker, which apparently translates to I am a tractor. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're not a donut. <laughs> they, looked at me, they looked at me quite oddly. <laughs> uh, I've got to go with my man Scott. I mean, why? how could I not? Um, he was, he like I said, he made those years joyous. And uh, and I thought he was a terribly good captain too. You know, when they announced that he was coming on board, I thought, well, if you can't get Harrison Ford, we've done pretty well. And uh, yeah, Scott was fantastic. And 
you know, he brought a certain stoicism to that role. I think he grew into it a bit. He was a, perhaps, I know some of the fans felt he was a little sort of wooden to start with. But I think by the end of it, we were really finding our pace, certainly by season four, um, with some new uh, writing talent at the helm with Manny Cotto. Yeah, I, I, I would go with Scott. Ashley, well, there's lots of talk at the moment in Hollywood uh, about female empowerment. Yes. You know, um, we've recently had the first Doctor Who. Uh, in the next James Bond film, the character 007 uh, is, is going to become a, a, a woman. But Captain Janeway on Voyager mm-hmm. did it all first. She you did. Know? <laughs> and so how much impact did that have at the, the time? And, and, uh, and, and what do you like most about her performance? Oh, it's, it's huge. And the character is fantastic almost in spite of herself. Voyager has, I like Voyager a lot, but Voyager, I think, has some of the craziest character moments and character shifts. And Janeway really is in flux. And because Kate Mulgrew is such a presence and so powerful and so wonderful. She feels consistent. It makes sense that she's in charge. I love it when she puts Chakotay in his place, who is physically imposing compared to her and a terrorist. Like he is not someone who is designed to work in the Starfleet uh, ethos. So she's an incredibly, incredibly powerful character and incredibly powerful actor. And that's the reason I think that the show was sustained. I think sometimes in spite of itself, because Janeway did it for herself and she did it so wonderfully. The next Star Trek series will be Star Trek Picard, which will see Patrick Stewart returning uh, to the role as uh, Jean-Luc Picard. And personally, I can't wait. I just want to ask our, our British actors for an appreciation of Patrick Stewart, all he's done in his career and specifically uh, what he did with this role. Well, I mean, I, he's, he's loved for this role and I think he loves playing it. Um, he's such a classical actor to take on that part. I mean, he was, you know, Royal Shakespeare Company. He, he took on some of the great roles there and he brings that gravitas to the captain. Um, and I think he is my second favorite choice. So the fact that it's coming back with him at the helm I think will make fans very happy and actually give the show that that depth that it needs. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, um, they must have backed the truck up, God bless. Well, they're um, they're also shooting at the same studio that they shot uh, a couple of his other projects at. So uh, I, I think he has a lot of sway. A lot of right. Um, where, yeah. are they, where are they shooting it? Uh, the studios that are up in Sun Valley, ah. which is where Blunt Talk shot, which is, was his project before that. Is that where he lives? I don't know. I wish if he's looking to hire a dog sitter, he can let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Are they bringing some of the other the, the original cast back from that show? Yeah, is, Frakes is back, and I think he's also right. directing. Marina Sirtis is back. Wow. Um, Brent Spiner's back. Jerry Ryan is like seven of nine as a character in the show. Even though she was in. in Voyager originally. Yeah, <laughs> yes. but but what's cool about that? Yeah. What's really cool about that is. Um, Patrick Stewart as Picard obviously famous for the Locutus arc so there's got to be some good Borg stuff that's going on uh-huh. and the Borg scared the shit the Borg, out of me the, the, so yeah. I'm really looking forward to that where is it going to wear this, this, this new show oh on the on the, the greatest of all apps that never ever crashes CBS All Access <laughs> <laughs> and other entertainment options are available <laughs> around the world yes. so that's what we think I'm going to announce the result uh, in a moment but uh, you know we'd always love to hear from you so uh, if you think our uh, opinions are, are great or completely stupid or have <laughs> ideas for future shows, uh, send us uh, a tweet with your thoughts to at who's the best pod. And you can also follow us on Instagram again at who's the best pod. So who's the best 
is the question. Now, uh, before it became this range of uh, excellent podcasts, um, Who's the Best was a live show and uh, will continue to be in future. We held Who's the Best Star Trek captain at a live event at the Arena Sin Lounge in Hollywood in front of an audience of devoted Star Trek heads or Trekkers, as I'm told they're apparently uh, called Dom. And uh, they cast their vote there in in the room. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we spoken to uh, uh, to other Star Trek fans since the vote hasn't changed it's now my pleasure to reveal the top three that's right the Trek fan universe has spoken on the question of who's the best Star Trek captain in third place Benjamin Sisko oh! from Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly surprised by that and pleased. Yes, the bronze <laughs> <smile> medal <laughs> for Benjamin. In second place, Catherine Janeway, what? Star Trek yeah. Voyager. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise no, you? No, no. She's really? well loved and well liked in the in the franchise. Uh, yeah. Does she come to any conventions? She does. Yeah, oh. not so much since uh, Orange is the New, but uh, but yeah, she'll show up to the big one. God, she's the best part of that show. She's well, she so good on there. Now. She's been voted second. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you know, <laughs> she, she, she's loved. But who's number one? Who is the best Star Trek captain? Voted in first place by the fans. Jean-Luc Picard! Star Trek The Next Generation and in a total wow. shocker, <laughs> Captain what? Kirk, yes. the William Shatner yes. version, finished yes. last. What? Wow. This is, oh, who are these people? Sorry, Harry. Who are these people? <laughs> At least they have no idea of talent when they see it. I don't manipulate the results. Oh. I just read them out. The public oh, has oh, spoken. Gutted. That's Got right. Funny, so funny cool. is they'll still line up every weekend to get <laughs> photographs with him. Oh, absolutely. $33.9, whatever you paid. I uh, said I'd had the pleasure of uh, meeting all the Star Trek captains, and um, it was my pleasure recently to do an in-depth uh, interview with Patrick Stewart uh, for a BAFTA audience, all about his life and career. And, and as you mentioned before, he's done so many great things in his career, but it's clear how much he loves Star Trek and, and how just going into Paramount that first time meant so much to him and uh, continues to mean so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Great. And uh, yeah, that is the best Star Trek captain. And he's back. Patrick Stewart. And he'll soon be back uh, for more. And we'll soon be back for more on more Who's the Best podcasts. Uh, check out uh, our episodes on uh, on all platforms. Um, I'm Sandro Manetti. It's been my pleasure to be your host. And uh, thank you so much uh, to Harry Van Gorkum. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ashley Victoria Robinson. Thank you. And Dominic Keating. Oh, thank you so much, guys. It's been a real hoot. This has been Who's the Best? Thanks to our podcast producer, Dave King. Thanks to composer Liz Rossi for our theme tune. And most of all, thanks to you, the listener. Who's the Best? Who's the Best, Who's the best? Who's the best? Who's the best? Who's the best? podcast is a Right Angles production. Who's the best?